This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 448, recorded on June 11th, 2020. Here on Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from a beautiful mic. Uh, we had, I don't know, eight or nine really hot days in a row, it seemed like, and then thunderstorm rolled through. It, it, you guys, everything survived. The It was windy. Like, it that was. storm came through. I mean, it was, it was windy yesterday. Yeah, our neighborhood wasn't bad. We didn't get hit that bad. Uh, I, there were just certain pockets around Omaha that got hit pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, that, that presented an opportunity last night. Uh, of course, we went from the 90s down into the 70s, mm-hmm. and it was like zero humidity, and it was gorgeous. And uh, Sammy, Sammy and I spent the evening uh, with a little screwball and a couple cigars. Well, for me, she still won't smoke a cigar. <laughs> but, um, and really enjoyed the evening. Hopefully, got did you get outside to enjoy it? I've been outside like for the past two weeks. I have, I've gotten out of my basement. I set up office on my back patio. And I have sat under there every single day, all day. And that's been where I've been working from. So even nice. during the rain, I just sit back there. It's great. Nice. Yeah, you got that big overhang. That's pretty nice. Yeah. That will be, it seems like the guys will not let up on a meetup. Even in the middle of a pandemic on Twitter, they have been relentless about a meetup. Guys, we need to do one. A, I know, but it's a pandemic right now. Like, yeah. Let's just let's, let's get, get through, through this, this first. Time. Yes, let's get through this time. We'll get we'll get a meetup. Uh, of course, we'll get some show notes as well, and we'll post those out at the Average Guy TV. Don't forget, you can also join us live on the mobile app HomeGadgetGeeks.com. We'll get you there if you want to get that done. We want to thank our Patreon subscribers for that, and don't forget on Patreon as well. We're giving away the coins again. I'm, I left them on the desk. You can kind of see them. Um, let's see, right over they're right up there. And uh, thanks, big thanks to Ron who printed some more of those. Those are available for you. A little five dollar pledge on Patreon, and I will mail it out to you. My the mail guy knows me now. When I bring him in, he's just cheap option. Yeah, it's just four bucks. So we'll send those out to you, and uh, and appreciate you doing that on Patreon. Don't forget, you can follow the show schedule as well, and we'll talk about the schedule here in a minute. But theaverageguy.eventbrite.com if you want to see what's coming up. We're scheduled out through two four um two four fifty. Uh, show number 450. Dave McCabe is coming back to talk a little bit about uh, lawn care. So we'll talk about that some more. Head out uh, there if you want to get done. If you want to subscribe to the newsletter, just head out to theaverageguy.tv slash subscribe. And uh, I am getting a mostly newsletter out. It's more of just kind of an update of things that are coming on. Kind of just like, here's what's going on. Just don't forget about this. Here's a reminder about that. Speaking of a reminder, June 18th, that's next Thursday. I think we have a pretty cool show lined up for for folks. It's an all feedback session. So if you haven't done that yet, email some feedback. And I'm not like looking for um, feedback in the traditional sense of like, this sucks. This is good. This like those kinds of things. It's more like what's going on in your world. We just want to read like, like what are we talking about or what have we talked about that you enjoyed and, and a little bit of the details. Maybe you've done some projects. Maybe you're doing some things. Send those in. And, uh, and many of you have. I got a whole page full, including some audio feedback, if you want to give that in as well. Mike and I will cue that up. Do we want to, do we want to say, Mike, what we're going to do next week? Are you, are you I, well, gonna... maybe we just say there might be a change of scenery. Okay. It might okay. look different next week All for right. both of us. So take you know, that as try, you will. Can I try something new? June 18th, feedback show. Still time if you're listening to this before that. 
send it to Jim at theaverageguy.tv and, uh, and we'll, we'll get you on the show as well. Um, big thanks to, uh, to John, John Biggs in the chat room. Uh, Mike, you're going to get a, you're going to get some of this when I come. Oh, I mean, the next time I see you, <laughs> you're going to get this as well. So, uh, can, Kentucky bourbon barrel ale, uh, that beer course that store. That sounds right up my alley. That yeah, sounds yeah, fantastic. Pretty, pretty great. So he sent, he sent two of each of these. And so I still, I, I still have one of, I still have two of those. I only have one of these cause it, it leaked in the, in the box a little bit cause I didn't want it to go flat, but this is a perpetual IPA. And, uh, John, thanks for said, this is hoppy. As like, are you an are you an IPA guy? Do yes. you like IPAs? Yep. Okay. Definitely. Hoppy and sweet. And um, really, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perpetual IPA. Um, you know, seven and a half, eighty-five IBU. So I mean, some good bite to it. Right. So John, thanks for thanks for sending those. I didn't wipe this off good enough. It's still a little sticky. <laughs> um, thanks for sending those over, John. And we appreciate it. If you want to send us your favorite beers. Easier if you send them in cans, just to be 100% honest. But uh, you can send them, Jim at the average guy.tv. I'll get you the mailing address if you want to do it that way. John, appreciate you sending them out. And we will, uh, next week during the feedback show, we'll open the show with those beers. So that's what we're drinking um, next week. Welcome back. It's been a couple weeks for you. Oh, did I, did yeah. I cut out again? It's, it's getting a little robotic on me. Uh, okay. It's been a couple weeks. How have you been? I've been great. It's uh, I was weird. We got on this after tonight, and I was like, "Man, I haven't seen you in like three weeks." I think I was uh, off a week, and then we were both off last week. So, uh, feels good to be back. Hannah's like, "Oh yeah, you podcast on Thursday still?" I'm like, yeah, it's still a thing. You know, I'm still doing that. Um, it's only been two weeks. It's only been two weeks. It has, but these actually these last weeks have been very different for me because my boys went back to school last week. Uh, so working from home has just been way different than it was for the first three months of quarantine for me. Uh, a lot more productive. Uh, which has been great. I do miss my boys. It's kind of weird. Like I, I missed them in a way like, Oh, I liked having them running around the house uh, at times, but I do love the, the work productivity is much higher. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, my, my audio and video is great. So I'm just going to feel great about it. You know, <laughs> it's probably not great on that. And you've got enough, you've got a blue Iris security system update. Why don't you dive into that? Yeah. So this actually was a great suggestion from JP Simmons in the discord. So I know a lot of you guys have been posting a lot of great stuff out there um, and a lot of good links. And so one of them that caught my eye, though, is because you guys know that I'm still in the middle of, you know, so I switched over to Blue Iris from Sighthound uh, a while back. I can't remember how long ago it was, probably a month or two at this point. And I've been kind of weighing which one I like better, Blue Iris or Sighthound. And they are almost, uh, they do the same thing, but they're, they're good at different things, which is why I'm struggling to pick one and why really, if it came down to recommendations um, for different people, I would have different recommendations, right? And so, but there was a link that JP Simmons posted from a guy on YouTube who had an enhancement to Blue Iris that you can do that essentially, um, number one, reduces the amount of storage that your uh, recordings take, which has been a big downside of Blue Iris for me. Because it takes it takes up a lot more storage than Sidehound, and I'll explain why in a second. And then number two, it makes your notifications and your alerts much much more useful than they were in the past. And um, and this is all done through an AI server. And so, what the, what the video does, and the video is going to be in the show notes. So if you guys want the link, it's also in the Discord. It's in the oh what 
<clears throat> what channel were we in? We were talking smart home. So if you scroll up, he put it out there on May 20th. And so I watched the video that it's a perfect tutorial, walks you through absolutely everything you need. I changed it up a little bit, um, but essentially what you're going to do is, so Blue Iris is your video recorder, right? So it's taking all the footage in and it's doing sort of alerts and it can do motion detection in the actual software of Blue Iris. It can do motion detection. Um, but essentially all it is, is detecting motion. There's some granular control you can get with sensitivity and zones and things like that. But as far as like detecting, is this a person? Is it a dog? Is it a car? It, Blue Iris doesn't do that. You need some other supplemental program to be able to do that. So what you do with this video is you install DeepStack AI. So DeepStack AI is a it's an AI server that you can run on your local hardware. And the free version works pretty well for this. And you can either run it on the local like Windows machine that you're running Blue Iris on, or what actually what I did was I went out and I just put it in a Docker on Unraid. Now, this is there is not a deep stack Docker that's in community applications on Unraid, but man, it's super simple to just go in, create a new template because uh, DeepStack actually puts their stuff already in a Docker out in the repository. So you can go out, grab it, super simple, and create a Docker container for DeepStack. So you've got DeepStack running. So this is a whole AI little server in a Docker. Pretty cool. I'm just, I'm kind of amazed at how all this stuff works. And essentially then what you tell Blue Iris to do is Blue Iris isn't going to do any of the motion detection. Um, Blue Iris is going to you, you set up two different versions of your camera. This is kind of where it gets a little weird. So we talked about space saving. Well, the reason that Blue Iris takes up so much more space is traditionally you would set up your, let's say for me, I have nine cameras. I have nine cameras. You point it to the HD stream because you want to record in HD, all your alerts, everything. Well, if you have it constantly record all the footage, even if you have it give you alerts, it's recording at a very high bit rate, large file size. Right, so you're getting these very large files for, and a lot of that time, it's recording. There's nothing going on. You don't need that. So with this setup, you actually set up two versions of your camera. You set up one to the HD stream and one to the substream. Almost all cameras now can do a substream at a lower, you know, lower resolution, like a 640 by 480. I can't remember the resolution, but at a lower resolution, lower bit rate. And so you set up the lower and the higher, and essentially you're always recording the lower resolution. And then with this new system, when it detects motion, it then triggers the HD stream to record on that one. So you get HD recordings of actual movement. And then your 24-7, if it didn't happen to catch an alert, but you still want to be recording, it's recording at the lower resolution. It saves a ton of a ton of space. I probably I'm, you know, before I was able to get about three weeks worth of footage, whereas now I'm looking at three to four months worth of footage uh, with this new system. But the way this works is there's an extra little program that you install on the Windows machine that's running Blue Iris. And Blue Iris now is going to take a snapshot at a certain interval on that low quality camera. So it's taking a snapshot, saving it to a folder. That folder is being watched by this program, and the program says, hey, there's a new picture here. I'm going to go send it over to the AI server. In that AI server, you set up your cameras, and you tell it, hey, on this camera, um, if it's a dog, if it's a cat, if it's a person, I want that to trigger an alert and uh, uh, record an HD and an alert in Blue Iris. Um, and you can set it per camera. So, for example, in my front yard, I don't need a high-quality image every time a car drives by that would be all the time but if it's a person if it's a dog if it's anything else I, I do and so you can get that granular with the ai server so then 
So the image goes to the AI server. The AI server says, does it meet any of these qualifications? Is there a person there? Is there a car there? Whatever you told it to. If yes, it kicks it right back over to Blue Iris through a URL. So Blue Iris, if you don't know, is be able to, you can trigger things through a URL. So it triggers through a URL and Blue Iris says, hey, I got told that my HD stream should trigger an alert right now. So it triggers, which starts the HD recording. And then if you have alerts like to your phone or whatever, it would obviously also do that. But the main benefit here, obviously, is that it's only telling the HD streams to start recording when there's actual motion that you want it to record. Not just any motion, but motion that you set up in the AI server, like I said, a person, a car, however you set it per camera. So really, really cool how this whole system works. It is a little bit more complicated, but I'll say I had it set up in about 30 minutes. Um, very, you know, once you kind of watch the video, the video does such a good job of describing in detail, step by step, how to do it. Um, there's really no way you can go wrong here. And uh, and then what I liked about it, though, is it made my alerts a lot more useful because before I would turn on, you know, alerts for my front door and, you know, any motion at all would trip it. Even if I set it to a zone, like, but if, if like a bird flew through that zone or a bug flew in front, it would trigger that and I would get an alert. And so it's, it's really cool. It gives you even, so I will, uh, I'll pull up here real quick. I'll show you guys the application that runs that sends everything to, well, I would if I didn't make it go full screen here. One second. Share the screen. All right. So here, obviously, I'm remoted into my Blue Iris box. And I don't have Blue Iris open because I have it running as a service. But this is the program that is sending all of the files from Blue Iris over to the AI server. And it keeps stats for you. It says, okay, well, you had 11,771 alerts. You had 6,142 irrelevant alerts. So meaning things that... Um, you did not tell it to record. So on my front door camera, I say ignore cars. So that means that, hey, it triggered because there was motion, but it was irrelevant because it didn't meet one of the rules we had. So we did not tell Blue Iris to record anything. And then there's false alerts. False alerts is, hey, Blue Iris said there was something here, but it's not. There's, there's actually not. We don't see any motion at all. And then you can actually see in the history exactly what it saw. So here, this is a false alert. You guys see there's nothing here. Um, let's go find one front door. Okay, so this one said front door. It's irrelevant because it's a truck. And yep, it says there's a truck here. It was 44% sure that that was a truck. And it ignored it because on this camera, I say ignore cars because that would trigger it all day long with those cars driving. Um, let's scroll down, not to one of my indoor cameras. Which there are a lot. Let's go front yard. Okay, so in this one, I say do record cars. So you'll see there's a check mark. So it said, yep, we're going to trigger this. And one of the cars, it was 97% sure it was a car, and one was 94. So since there were cars in here and it met one of my rules, so this then, this program would have told Blue Iris to trigger the high definition version of this camera and to record this. And the nice part about Blue Iris is you have a buffer. So Blue Iris is constantly recording the video into RAM. Um, but it's disregarding it if you're not if it's not telling it to record. So it, it builds up a buffer. So it's not like you're going to actually miss the motion because what it's saying is, hey, there was motion. Alert Blue Iris. Blue Iris says, cool. I have the last 10 seconds of video. I'm going to start 10 seconds ago. So I'm going to go back and grab that and start it 
10 seconds before. So the big thing though here is that, um, and I can actually, we can close out of the screen recording. I got this all done, Jim. And I was like, did I just spend a lot of time doing what Sighthound does pretty darn well, to be honest, right? And so this is what I was talking about earlier when I say I have a really hard time choosing and recommending between Blue Hours and Sighthound because they just do se- separate things. For me, I am con- I love to remotely view my security cameras. And you'll notice my screen up here is off because I haven't been down here the last week. But this is usually up running the web GUI of Blue Iris. You know, it's remotely because this isn't connected to the actual Blue Iris machine. The web GUI, I can pull it up on a Raspberry Pi, on my phone. And Blue Iris's web UI is amazing. You can do everything. You can pretty much never access the Blue Iris box again and do everything from the web UI. Whereas the web UI for Sighthound is okay and gets the job done, but it doesn't give you like, you know, the nice full screen, just nine tiles. It doesn't do any of that. There's no customizability. And so for me, uh, I care more about remote viewing than I do about alerts. And with this system here, I can get close enough on the recording and the alerts to make it a little better. And the other thing Sighthound did really well that Blue Iris didn't do before I set this up was Blue Iris, I didn't realize how um, intricate and nicely done the Sighthound's recording is. Sighthound says, hey, how many hours do you want me to record just everything? And you say like 72 hours. So for the past three days, just record everything. And then beyond that, only keep things that you alerted as motion, like people. And and Sighthound has the people detection you know, pet detection, I think it is, and, and car or something like that. I can't remember what categories it has, but that's really smart because usually if something happens, you'd be like, okay, it probably happened within the last three days. And if not, odds are it got caught in my recordings because it was motion. Um, and, and Blue Iris just did not have a way to do that. So this does help a little bit um, because you are able to not record full HD all the time and take up all that useless storage, uh, but you're able to at least have it. And so uh, I, I do like this solution. It works well for me. It was able to bring Blue Iris a little bit more to the middle for me. I was I was contemplating going back to Sighthound just because of those items I talked about. But what was keeping me away was, man, I'm like, man, I just love the remote monitoring and control that I have with Blue Iris. So that's had what it had kept me there. Um, so this was a, a really nice enhancement. So DeepStack AI is just, it's super cool. Go out to their website. It's in the chat room and I'll actually put it in the chat right now. We'll, th- we'll throw it in the show notes as well. Yeah, sorry, it's show notes. And yeah. uh, so you can check out. I'll put it in the chat. Right, Mike, so I just, you always do this to me. So I just paid the for Sighthound. You know, I have their two camera plan. I think it's six bucks and 12 bucks a year. So this is not like a, it's like $12. It's not like right. a, but you know, I'm I'm a camera. Maybe I've been camera to it. It, it does like, said it over alerts and sarah came to me this week and she was like is there you can shut that thing off i'm getting alerts all the time and i long a long time ago had stopped getting all the alerts just because well one i'm um but i think where you, where you were going with that was you know okay so you have sighthound and now it's like, might just switch to blaris i think honestly if you are upset about the over alerts now definitely don't go to blue iris because um Sighthound definitely has better, obviously, AI. It's the most accurate for alerts, and it has the people tracking built in and everything like that. I have um, 
And the alerts on Blue Iris, even the mobile app, the way that when you get an alert and you hit the alert, it doesn't take you to that video. <laughs> it just opens the app. Um, so there's a lot of things that I think Sighthound is probably better for almost everyone, and especially for you, Jim. It's really for the rare use case for people like me who I have like usually two or three monitors in my house open all the time showing all my cameras. I just kind of like that. Um, I even have now a Raspberry Pi in the living room. And when the TV is not watching something, I switch the input. So it's just displaying all the cameras. Um, it's just, and so for me, that's not possible with Sidehound. Um, but for most people, I think Sidehound is the way to go. That's what I've kind of determined is that the, the AI in there, the alerts are so much better in Sidehound that I, I think now I see where the price difference comes into, um, especially with how all that stuff is just built in. So, yeah, I mean, so I think what I've really learned just in summary of what I was just talking about is kind of what I just told Jim, right? Uh, I think for the most, if you are willing to spend the money on Sighthound, I think it's it's by far way easier to set up. It's got much more accurate um, triggers for alerts and much better recording, right? Without setting up something complex like I just mentioned to you guys. In the use case where you need more control over users, you want more web control when you're not right in front of the machine, you need the nice grid of screens, especially like in a business environment. I think Blue Iris is probably a little bit better for a business environment, usually because you know you have like a security guard sitting there monitoring it 24-7. That's where Blue Iris is probably a better fit. Um, but I think Sighthound it wins in, in a lot of these cases. But moving on real quick, another interesting story. And, and like I said, so this is we're going to talk about. I, I swapped my modem out. And usually that's not very exciting. Um, but this left my head scratching a little bit. So the reason I bought a modem was simply because I was paying 10 bucks a month to Cox Communications for the rental of their newest panoramic Wi Fi. It's actually, make uh, sure right back here. Let me grab it real quick. So this is, I mean, the latest and greatest from Cox. This is, this is what you can get. Panoramic Wi-Fi, right? It's a Doxis 3.1 modem. Um, and apparently the Wi-Fi is good. I had it in bridge mode, but it, this is the best thing you can get. You cannot get any better from this from Cox. And so I was paying them $10 a month for it. That's the reason I switched, or so I thought. So I, I grabbed the Aris Surfboard SB8200. It's a 3.1 Doxis modem. And here's what I noticed. I had been doing speed tests uh, right up until now, and I paid for the gigabit plan, but I was capped out at 500. And not it was almost like it was a hard-coded cap because it wasn't like it would fluctuate over 500 ever. It would just like speed test would hit 500 and just flatline. And so when I had talked to Cox and when the guy came out and fixed it the first time, he said, yeah, you know, like they're, they're throttling people back a little bit because of the pandemic just to make sure everyone can have good internet access, you know, so you might see your speeds uh, pretty a lot lower than your gigabit, obviously half at this point. And I was like, okay, I, I had accepted that. I was like 500 good enough for me right now. If this stick around hope I would probably complain a little bit if this, you know, went into the next few months and it stayed capped at 500 when I'm paying for gigabit. Um, I would have been more upset, but I, I get it. I understood that. And, but the other thing I noticed was that, you know, so on the Unify devices, so you guys know I had the Cox modem in bridge mode, and I use uh, Untangle for my router on custom hardware. And then for my access points, I use the Ubiquiti um, AC Pros. 
I have two of them in my home. And the one nice thing about those is when you open up the controller, you can see how much congestion is on the different channels that you are using for your access points. And I noticed that on the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum, um, no matter if I chose 1, 6, or 11, I was constantly getting a lot of interference. Well, the other cool thing you can do with Ubiquity is you can go into neighboring access points or neighboring networks. I can't remember what they call it. But essentially, you can pop up and it'll say, hey, here are all the networks, their signal strength that are near yours. And I had one with a hidden SSID that was 99% signal strength. I'm like, well, that's super weird. That's like in my house because all the rest of them I can tell are neighbors. And they're in like the highest one is like 60% signal strength. Uh, most of the other ones are in like the 20s to 40s to like, you know, zero to 10, right? But nothing at 99% signal strength. And, uh, but it was weird that Ubiquity showed as a hidden SSID, but I didn't notice when I popped open my phone that now there was a Cox Wi-Fi network in my house, full strength. So what I figured out was that Cox was actually doing the same thing. I think Spectrum or Charter or, you know, one of them um, a while back did this, or I think it might have been Verizon too. Uh, Essentially, they started using, if you were using their equipment in their home, they would have your network SSID out there, your private one. But then all of the ones in everyone's houses was also emitting, in this case, a Cox Wi-Fi network that Cox subscribers could connect to, essentially creating like a massive spread of Cox Wi-Fi across these cities, right? You have a lot of people with the modems and you had no ability to turn this off because I didn't even know it existed until I kind of started to look around. You know, once all your Wi-Fi is set up in your house, how often are you opening the Wi-Fi settings and looking through the local networks that are around you? Not very often for me, at least. Um, so when I did that and I noticed the the Cox Wi-Fi, I'm like, all right, well, this is interesting. So I went back into the Cox modem and sure enough, there is no way, doesn't even tell you what's doing it no way to turn it off. It's in full bridge mode. Um, so I had, I had no way to do that. So I swapped out. Long story short, guys. <laughs> I made this a little bit of a long story because, you know, Jim was gone. So I didn't know how long I was going to oh, thanks, thanks for coming. Yeah, just covering. Um, swapped out the modem. Went to the Aero surfboard. First thing, speeds up to full gigabit. Sometimes even higher, right? Which is odd. Um, but right at a gigabit. Full speeds uh, with my own hardware. And number two... Obviously, it got rid of the Cox Wi-Fi network in my home. So my Wi-Fi is no longer battling other channels. I mean, that was because it did do a pretty good job. They talk about panoramic Wi-Fi being great signal strength. It was 99% around my entire house. And it was just competing with my own networks. There was a lot of network congestion over the airways. And as soon as I got that thing out of there, number one, having full gigabit speeds, and number two, having much better Wi-Fi, it has been a much better experience. I didn't realize the pains I was having before I got it out of there. I'm like, oh man, everything's snappier around here. Everything seems to be working better. Um, you know, things are loading faster. Uh, even just um, Wi-Fi range of my main network outside my house was a lot better. So it's just odd that I was paying Cox for their highest tier modem, getting my speeds cut in half and having Wi-Fi congestion when I couldn't control it. So... If you guys are paying um, for that, something to consider. You know, this one was $149. So it'll pay off in uh, in 15 months. Not bad. You know, I will definitely still need internet 15 months from now. So uh, it'll pay itself off after that. And and man, to double my speed and to free up the Wi-Fi congestion was, was huge. So a little pro tip for you. If it's something you've been thinking about doing, definitely, uh, definitely go for it. 
So the next thing was, uh, I know a lot of us have had conversations in Discord. A lot of you are network junkies like me, and you like to play around with different router softwares and things like that. And uh, you guys know that I started off on PFSense, and then I switched to Untangle. And I've been on Untangle for a while. And I briefly went over to Unify, uh, but I didn't have necessarily the power that I wanted, the control that I needed. And so I came back to Untangle. For some reason during all of this, especially with my speeds being slow, uh, there was this thought in my head of, I wonder if for some reason that's Untangle. I wonder if with all the filtering, all the spam protection, all the malware protection, all the intrusion prevention um, detection that's going on, I wonder if that's slowing down my speeds. And so I did, for a day, swap back to PFSense. Uh, so I fired up a PFSense box, um, and I, I did move it to the exact same box I had on Tangle. So I essentially have two SSDs, one with Untangle on it, one with PFSense. So I can just power down the box, plug in that uh, hard drive, fire it up, and all of a sudden I'm running PFSense or I'm running Untangle um, in that same box. And uh, fired it up and quickly remembered why I personally love Untangle. Um, PFSense, first of all, there was no speed difference. It was the exact same speed. So the router was not causing any any speed hindrance there. But man, it, it made me appreciate it. I forgot how clean and easy it is to do things in Untangle and how much stuff is just built in without much extra effort. Um, now, I know a lot of that comes with um, a little bit, you know, like PFSense, you have so many more options. PFSense is almost like the blue iris, right? Where you have so many options, you can do so much stuff. Um, it's actually, actually a really good comparison. And Untangle is a little bit like uh, Sighthound, much cleaner easier to do for me for someone who doesn't want to tweak and mess with deep deep network settings but i do want um ips right and i want i want to be able to do filtering i want to be able to do all of that untangle makes it so easy and i know a lot of you guys probably have been on pfsense forever and never tried untangle if you're looking for a, a quarantine project and you're looking like yeah i could fire someone up give untangle a shot because i was back to untangle within the same day. I didn't even last for more than 12 hours back on PFSense. I was like, yeah, this is why I went to Untangle. This is why I kind of stuck with it because it's just, it's just easier for me. PFSense, if you need the customizability and power, definitely go for it. If you don't though, if you're more of the run-of-the-mill home user, even like me, um, you just need some basic stuff, port forwarding. Um, I even run a bunch of, I have three VLANs, which Untangle handles just fine. Uh, stuff like that. That's what I came back to. Jim, you're back and you look clear. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, All right. fu funny. I mean, uh, you, you were, you're talking about, you know, PFSense and Untangled. I almost set up because of the, some of the problems I've been having, I almost set up PFSense week just to kind of, kind of wanted to monitor what's going on in the network. And I'm trying to isolate this problem. Right. Is it me? Is it the modem? Is it Cox? Is it like, you know, whatever you're telling the story about, you know, having, <laughs> Fi, you, you basically had community Wi-Fi on, right? Yep. Uh, and um, I kind of feel like that right now. <laughs> you know, you're like, so you started troubleshooting. I st I'm starting to troubleshoot things. I shut down all the computers behind me. I shut down, could remotely, you know, I started trying to isolate things here. The modem, I've got that. Uh, you, you, you talked already about replacing your modem, right? I did, yep. And so, like, my modem currently, the bottom light is flashing orange, which I think is not a like I think it's what um, I'm, I'm going to have to call. I, I'm going to have to call, and it's probably a new modem for me as well this week. I, I think this one, Cox. Last time I called, they said, "Hey, you should probably replace that." So it's probably time to buy. I'll have to look at what you bought and maybe yeah. just pick it up. It went up twenty dollars in the last week. Huh. 
Oh. Um, but Go maybe figure. find it somewhere else. But yeah, the Aeris surfboard, it's the SB2800. Or no, sorry, 8200. And it, it's their, it's really their only Doxus 3.1 modem, which is what mm-hmm. you're going to want at this point. And just so 3.1, I didn't mention this, is good for number one, speed. Number two, buffer bloat. So 3.1 handles buffer bloat a lot better. So um, your queuing and things like that are going to be handled a lot better with that Doxus 3.1. So even if you're not a gigabit person, you don't need that, uh, it can still help in, in a lot of ways. So I, I would suggest, especially if you guys are buying something, you don't want to be replacing this thing in a, in a year or two. Um, I would just, you know, 149 is not bad for uh, a new modem that has all the bells and whistles right now. Yeah, I think I'm going to call after the, uh, I'm going to call Cox and do some troubleshooting with after everybody goes to bed just to see, you know, plug, isolate every testing last them. They said, Hey, well, you're, you're renting. You could just swap it. It was like, no, not renting it by. And they're like, no, no, you can just bring it in. We'll give you a new one. So I don't know. I may, I may play that angle a little bit to see. Am I still stuttering as well? Yeah. You're still stuttering. Yeah. Yeah, I heard most of it. I got it. But uh, Tijoski uh, has a good point. He says they have that same motive at Walmart. So you could uh, even make a late night run tonight oh. and swap it. And they, and you can do that yourself. You just have to go online and plug in the new number and or call them. I called them and they had it done in a minute. Yeah, I think I'm going to call and troubleshoot type thing. Yeah. So, yep. shoot. Guys, first of all, coming out live, thanks for... There's nothing more frustrating. Um, I, was, I was saying Dave Jackson was going with this on... Saturday, and I really felt bad for him because he just, it, it, no matter what he would do, it didn't work. And I just, you know, my like you, my connection was just fine. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, um, well, okay, you know, I just covered for him. So thanks for, thanks for covering for me tonight. Still no jittery? Still jittery? Um, it, it's been fine for the last two seconds. No. So let's, um, let's close up. Cause I'm going to call, I'm going to call and start doing some yeah. troubleshooting. I have to do some stuff tomorrow. So the one night, the one thing you can do is I can't remember the exact number. So about Google. So if you go to the address, one nine, two dot one, six, eight dot one hundred dot one, that'll get you to your modem and it'll give you these levels and you can oh. see your levels coming into the modem. And if you just Google, it'll tell you what those should be within. There's a range Give me that number again. 192.168.100.1. See if that brings up your modem login. Yep. Yep. And so that's a good tip for everyone. That's your modem uh, IP address for essentially everyone. As soon as you logged in the modem, it's like, oh, maybe I should quick. uh, Don't put me out to pasture. Maybe I should quick record the end of the show. Yeah, I think you could. And you know what? If you don't get it, you can just add it at the end. So, yeah, yeah. So a couple of reminders as we as we wrap things up here. It's been event much of what you just heard you didn't actually hear because you had to be the live show. I cut a chunk of it out because we had so many technical problems. But just a couple of reminders before you go, if you want to support the show uh, via Patreon, the average guy TV slash Patreon, we have some plans out there. Five dollar plan, get your little coin. I'll mail that to you. Love to have you do that. If you want to join the conversation on Discord, the average guy TV slash discord send us your feedback we got that big feedback show coming up next week it'll probably be better because 
well, we probably, I probably won't be here not, not giving it away or anything. And so, uh, send it to me, Jim at the average guy.tv. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on that. You can still use the Facebook group if you want to the average guy.tv slash Facebook. I want to thank Maple Grove partners for their support and sponsorship of the show. Maplegrovepartners.com. Get for secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. You can also listen to Home Gadget Geeks live and maybe with better bandwidth. HomeGadgetGeeks.com. Get the app, and uh, you can do that as well. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out here at TheAverageGuy.tv. I'm going to get out of here fast before I lock up. That was a goodbye, everybody.